Welcome to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is your host, Ashwin Krishnan. In this episode, using the new toys to solve the legacy issues, we speak with Scott LaLiberty, the former Information Security Systems Officer for the U.S. Coast Guard and Managing Director and Global Leader of the Cybersecurity and Privacy Practice at the global consulting firm Protivity. Scott shares his findings on how CISOs need to and are starting to talk the business language and how the changing narrative of what security does for the business can lead to a more cohesive enterprise. So welcome everybody to the Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is a series of podcasts that we're doing, bringing in thought leaders, both from the vendor space as well as the practitioner space, talking about security and privacy, but more so from a real-life perspective, rather than just pontificating about what should happen. So in that context, I have today with me Scott La Liberty, and I will have him introduce himself because it's just too much for me to talk about. <laughs> sure. So go ahead, Scott. Thanks. So I'm Scott La Liberty. I'm a managing director of Pertivity. I'm the global leader of our cybersecurity practice. Been in that role for a little over a year now, but I've been with the firm since the start. I've come up through those ranks leading our technical security services arm. And prior to that, I ran IT for the U.S. Coast Guard many years ago. But right now, I'm kind of helping clients manage all the challenges in cyber, trying to keep up with the latest threats and do that while all balancing that with the need to do business quickly and in a cost-effective manner. Wow, okay. So you just said something that if you can do that, then there'll be lots of followers who'd say, hey, hey, Scott, how do you do that? So let's talk a little bit about the report that just came out, I believe, recently, right? As recently as Monday. Monday. Okay. And so can you talk about, like, what are some of the aha moments that were new, but also reinforcement of things that we knew all along, but just saying, hey, this, this thing continues to plague us? Sure. Yeah. The report covers nine years of scan data that, wow. that we've accumulated. So it's all uh, de-identified data, right? right. Of course. But we wanted to look at that historical trending to see have things gotten better, have things gotten worse. And what we saw is that it's pretty much stayed the same. There's been some ups and downs from years to years, but there's still a lot of high-risk vulnerabilities that exist in environments. Uh Many of them are very old. There's still a lot of outdated operating systems that are out there. And it just doesn't seem like we're making a whole lot of headway with that problem, Mm -hmm. which is compounding the problem with all the new threat actors that are out there, the constant bombarding, these just present numerous avenues by which to have attackers go in. So we're not winning the battle on that front. And until we do, it's going to be very hard to to make strides forward. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because, I mean, it seems surprising on the one hand, we're talking about AI and machine learning and cloud native, right? It's almost like this rubber band that's getting stretched where you're getting into the new. And yet, based on what you're saying, what others are also saying, which is we have this long legacy of quote-unquote shit that is completely unprotected, right? So is there going to be a defining moment where, whether it's Spectre or Meltdown, I mean, we've seen enough of these that there's going to be a shift saying, okay, IoT, ML, AI is all fine, but that can wait until we really get our house in order? Or do you think that this, like, what's the reverse? what's what's the reverse? So I think we can get a little bit better on the problem at hand, Mm -hmm. right? But I also think some of the newer technologies that you mentioned, like AI, machine learning, RPA, can be another way to mitigate this oh, issue. Right? Okay. Once, so we're not going to fully solve this issue, but right. we can use some of the newer technologies to mitigate the risk that they create. So I think a couple of the ways we can get better on this issue, One of the, so I see two real big aspects here. One is really having measurement of your vulnerability management programs and your patch management programs. Mm-hmm. And measuring that return on investment and measuring the progress. We haven't seen a lot of organizations doing that real well. Yeah. 
that which you don't measure, it's hard to tell if you're improving or not and making progress in that regards. So that is a key measure, having metrics in place, really being able to look at time that the vulnerabilities are existing in the environment, mm-hmm. time to patch, making sure that you're patching the highest ones first, you're mitigating those risks, are you getting better or worse? And are you getting the value of the return on investment from that effort? Yep. Some of that, I think, involves speaking in business terms. Right? Yep. So us in the security profession, we tend to speak in technical terms. Yep. The people that control the purse springs are speaking in business terms. Right. So using some methodologies like the FAIR risk assessment methodology, mm-hmm. trying to bring some quantification to the problem and showing how the investment can then offset the risk can also help with that articulation of investment dollars and metrics. The other big problem that is still difficult is patching and hardening cause performance issues, yep. right? And, you know, haven't been in that world and you probably hadn't been in that world, you always got to make the decision, do you take the risk of applying the patch and right. bring something down or yep. do you take the risk of just, you know, letting it ride and praying nothing happens? That's where I think we can take benefit from some of these new technologies like the AI, the machine learning, advanced user behavior analytics, to try and put detective and preventative technologies and processes running over the top. Mm. So you still got that vulnerable underneath infrastructure foundation, but you're protecting it better through trying to intercept the attacker before they get there, Mm. containing Mm. the damage, Mm. taking action to mitigate any risk that occurs or exploits that occur. So I see that technology really as a mitigation to help us deal with the underlying problem. So you bring an interesting point, which uh, again has been something that's been around for decades, right? Which is the struggle, if you will, within businesses of a CISO's mandate versus a line of business mandate. So how does that get resolved. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, do CISOs have to become better marketers? Do they have to understand lines of businesses versus just pontificating, sitting on the sidelines? And do businesses also have to start realizing that if their customer data gets out, it doesn't matter to what the business does because you're all toast together, right? So, right. I mean, are there guiding principles in terms of how these organizations need to work together? And if so, why hasn't it happened so far? Yeah. There's guiding principles, but it's hard. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> and they, I think they speak different languages, right? right? You've got two communities speaking different languages. We've got to find that common language to unite them. So I use this analogy. We used this analogy in Protivity back in the day when we found it. We said, why do you have brakes on a car? And everybody's first answer always is, well, to slow you down. Right. Slow the car down. And we look at it as, you have brakes on a car so you can go fast, right? Without the brakes, without the controls, without security, you're going to crash into a wall. So getting the business to realize that Mm -hmm. you're the brakes on the car so that they can go faster is a big mindset to have in place. The other thing is helping define what's world-class, right? In security, a lot of times we think world-class security is just you're secure. Nobody's going to get in. We prevented everything. But really looking at there's two axes to world-class. There's being secure. And there's being nimble, reactive, quick, and enabler to the business. Yep. And the best security is secure, but transparent to the end user yep. and helping the business achieve their objectives much faster. With that common goal, now you got both people on the same set of music, right, working together. I think the CISO really does have to start looking at themselves as needing to explain the problem in business terms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So starting with the business processes and working back to the underlying technology processes and showing them what loss events actually look like. And so, you know, they have all that customer data that goes out. Here's the loss that we could experience. Here's the data that supports it. And here are the 
actions that we could take to mitigate that yeah. risk, right? So if we encrypted that data securely, now it's not getting out. We don't have to report. Therefore, this $5 million loss event becomes a non-event. Right. And those types of business terms, the CFO, the CRO that are holding the purse strings, right. will understand that better. So let's double click on that one because you hit upon a very important challenge right? that organizations face, particularly CISOs, is we're all slave to the quarterly metrics. Right? Yeah. And finance is on the hook. Marketing is typically on the hooks in terms of leads generated. I mean, RSA, you went to how many leads you get. Sales obviously is measured. Engineering sometimes is productivity also, right? But from a CISO standpoint, when you have a compelling event, when you have a pet year, when you have a spectrum meltdown, something like that, suddenly the CISO's in the radar, right? And he or she is answerable. But then let's say the compelling event goes away, right? All the other lines of businesses are still in the crosshairs of the CEO and the board. Yeah answerable. But the CISO, I mean, how does he or she actually make themselves relevant in this environment where there isn't a compelling event that has happened, God forbid, right? Right. So there's actually good news. But going up over there and saying, hey, you know what, we haven't been hacked for the last 90 days. Yay. How does that manifest itself? I mean, how can a CISO still stay relevant knowing that the threat is out there, even though you haven't been breached or maybe you've been breached and you haven't detected? Right. Well, I think you have to use all available data that you have, right? And just because you haven't been hacked right. or experienced a breach doesn't mean that your peer group hasn't. And you can draw that correlation of, look what happened to, you know, fill in the name. And really embracing that they're not any different, right? Like a lot of CISOs, I think, are afraid to let the board know yeah. and let executive management know how vulnerable they really are, yeah. right? They're trying to paint this glossy picture because they think they're going to get fired if they don't. But, you know... I think acknowledging that you're similar and you yeah. have the same weaknesses and then trying to prioritize the investments that will make those risks be reduced, not go away because yeah. they're never going to go away. It's what needs to happen so you get the funding that you need. But it just can't be, hey, I want to go buy this cool new tool. Right? Right. This new, I just want to slap in deceptive technology because yeah. it's the new hottest thing that's out there. It needs to be more of by doing that, right, we reduce the likelihood of the insider threat or the bad actor yeah. getting to compromising, doing these things, and relating that back to the business loss event that they're all worried about that they saw their peer group having. So, again, you're bringing about the whole question of ROI at this point, right, which is for every investment that goes in, be it deception being some other technology, is now you're asking the CISO to be more of a business leader, right? Yeah. So, we talked about earlier, it's, uh, CISOs are tech heads and have grown up that way. So how does that shift happen? Which is, okay, on the one hand, you're forced to become marketing and salesperson talking about security internally. On the other hand, you have to justify every dollar of investment going in, saying how does it directly impact your risk posture, right? And is there training available for that? Are CISOs standing up and saying, okay, we need to rethink the way we've looked at our job description in the past? I think they're starting to realize it. I mean, we've had, I've had more requests by CISOs that I work with to mm. help them prepare okay. board presentations, to help them prepare board metrics. They're starting to realize that they need to do that. They're reaching out for help and trying to not just have it be, hey, come in and help me with this presentation, but help me understand how I can present better, what I can do to really convince them and make them understand. When you go into a board meeting for the first time and you sit there and you're talking to people that are really smart, intelligent business people. Right. Many of them are older, right? Yeah. So they have trouble relating to technology to begin with. Mm -hmm. And you see their faces when you start trying to describe yeah. something. Yeah. I look at it almost like I'm trying to explain the concept <laughs> to my parents or my yeah. grandparents, right? It's yeah. uh, 
you have to almost put it in those terms. But CISOs, I think, are realizing it. I think companies are realizing they often need a more business-minded CISO Mm -hmm. who can then have a very technical team under them, right, or a counterpart on the team. But if they don't start putting that lens on it, they're just going to continue to not be relevant to the business and therefore not get what they need to be successful. So so this is a part joke, part reality. I don't know what it is, but I learned about this in my previous job where one of our top sales guys was saying, okay, when I sell to a CISO, the first thing I do is I go and see how long she has been in her job. If she's been in a job more than nine months, then I'm actually not, I'm actually going to start selling to her, not with the intent of selling into where she is right now, but because she's going to be out of the job in 18 months <laughs> to the next company she goes in. And it's part funny, but it's also a realization of saying, hey, the average tenure is 18 months to two years okay. because something bad is going to happen and somebody's neck is on the line and typically it's a CISO, right? So how can somebody operate in this fear mentality of saying, okay, so I'm going to be out, right? What's the investment? I mean, I, I was talking to a CISO about <coughs> two days ago and she's been in her job for six years. Like, so she's saying, I'm throwing out all the statistics out the window yeah, right yeah. now, right? So every day is a gift. I mean, how does that existential thread, if you will, of the CISO's tenure itself play into all of these decisions. They can't go into the position fearing that. Like when you fear something, it's like my kids that are in sports. When you fear the bad outcome, it's going to happen. You got to play the game, you know, looking at you're going to be here long term and what do I need to do to be successful? I have many friends that have been CISOs for six, 10 years. And the ones that are successful have really made a point of making management understand what needs to be done. Not being afraid of being the bearer of bad news up front and saying, you know what, we're not perfect. We do have exposures and here the exposures are and here's my plan to go after them. I hope these are the right order to go in, right? But if we don't, these are the other things that we need to have in place. We need to have the cyber insurance in place because we're probably gonna have a loss event and that's what it's here for. We have to have the response plan in place so we can mitigate it. And we have to get you know, legal and the business all involved in understanding that risk and owning it and knowing what each one of their jobs are. And they've got buy-in to the business. And when something bad happens, you know, the rest of the business is prepared for it. It's not the call out on the carpet and why did this happen? We don't understand. You told us everything was great. The ones that I see unsuccessful are the ones that come in and they don't want to be the bearer of bad news, yes. right? They yeah. kind of don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. They're just going to do the status quo. They're going to try and ask for things and make incremental improvements. And they've reported to the board and management that things are fine. Yeah. And then that event happens or the near miss happens. And that's yeah. all it takes to they lose credibility very quickly. And once you lose trust and credibility, you're not going to be there very long. So you're actually sparking another train of thought. So I just wrote an article on CSO online about two days ago talking about the role of the CISO and how he or she is going to be the guardian of the galaxy. And I use Alex Tamos' example at, at Facebook saying, so he's actually stood up a year ago, right, to Cheryl and, and Mark and talked about the fact that they haven't been able to recover the data and know how much data is exposed, yeah. right? But apparently he was shushed and he was put in a position where his powers were taken away, etc. But I was taking a much more forward-looking stance saying, hey, the CISO's role is now no longer just relegated or focused on just protecting the enterprise assets. It's focused on protecting the customer assets. So it's no longer just about your network switches and your database servers, etc. It's all about the customer data. So looking at what happened to Alex, and when he tried to stand up and say, hey, this is a problem, and he's on his way out, even though they're trying to window 
address that as saying, hey, it, it, he's leaving for personal reasons. Right. But people can see through that, right? So, uh, and to your point, how does a CISO reconcile with the fact that here is an example of somebody who's trying to do the right thing for the greater good and got jacked? Yeah. And as, as you're saying, I mean, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's relatively less painful to just play along and pretend that everything is okay, knowing that a breach is going to happen. And it seems like it's probably the toughest job on the planet. It's, it's a tough job, right? With risk comes reward. You know, I think the example you gave there, he's going to have a pretty, not have a very hard time finding another Absolutely. job, right? Actually, that's he played great, it the yeah. right way. Yeah. People are going to see he played it the right way. Yeah. They're going to want somebody like that on board. Right. Conversely, the organizations that don't play it right are right. going to probably have a hard time attracting that's really good talent to fill that role right? until they kind of realize you know, you have to treat people a certain way, you have to be able to take the right stance, and then you'll start to get the rewards for that. You know, I always have played it off as you got to do the right thing regardless, and, you know, it'll come no, that's, that's a great point about saying that, hey, I mean, his role or his uh, image is now transcends Facebook. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now, coming back, so that's actually an interesting point, just look, looking at the foot traffic and, and just the amount of energy here at RSA, and then you hear about cyber skills shortage. Right, and you're saying, "Hey, it's impossible to hire people, and you're not getting enough people certified." How do you reconcile that? I mean, is there are the people over here who are just here to pick up buzzwords so they can, or do we truly have a cyber skills shortage, or is it an artificially made up thing just to get more budget? Or no, I think there's a skills shortage. Okay, yeah, you know, I think especially in the experienced space, right? Like this industry has boomed so much in the last few years, and you don't have that big group of people with seven to 15 years experience, right? Because it's a relatively new field. We're getting, I think, a really good crop of new folks that are coming into the business. You know, we've been hiring pretty aggressively off campus out of some very good programs Mm -hmm. and very smart people that are coming into it that have new, fresh ideas. They just don't have that long experience to draw on. They may not have the management skills, et cetera, but it's nice to see that coming along. So I think the skill shortage will start taking care of itself. Okay. But that experienced person is, is where we're having issues. I also think we can use some of the technology to try and automate some of the lower level functions, mm-hmm. right? Like using robotic process automation on things like provisioning, deprovisioning, trying to use AI, artificial intelligence for some of the lower level analyst type work and right. SOC, you know, SOC level one, level two type stuff. And getting the people that we do have to focus on the higher value type activities so you're putting the resources that you do have on higher value actions, right? right. And trying to automate the lower level ones. It's going to have to be that double-pronged approach. And just when you think, you know, you're going to start getting over that skill shortage, the problem gets bigger. There's new aspects to it, like IOTs in the yep. space and all these new technologies that now even the 7 to 15-year people don't even have any experience dealing with that. Yep. They just got to take the logic and experience they have and try to apply it to the new technologies. Yeah. And then I think really, you know, the more junior people, to fill that gap. And I've been having pretty good success by pairing the oh, more experienced wow. people okay. with some of the newer folks coming out of these new programs right. and working together. They both benefit, right? And uh, that's helping fill the skills gap, gap a little bit and shortage a bit. But uh, we're going to continue to have this problem for a while. That's interesting to hear. So you, you touched on IoT and AI, and I don't think any podcast is complete unless we <laughs> talk about those right. things. Yes, I mean, there is no doubt an explosion that's going on, right? And there's been enough panels about it and keynotes, et cetera, both industrial control systems as well as stuff that's coming to our homes. Yeah. How do you, I mean, just like you talked about earlier, if an enterprise itself has a, a long tail of old servers, et cetera, machines, are we getting into a situation where 
SMBs and SMEs and consumers are going to have the same thing, right? Yeah. And you bought a Nest thermometer or thermostat three years ago, and does that have to be bashed? I mean, so how do you see this play out? Is a consumer going to become like a mini enterprise and you have a knock and a sock at home? And is that opportunity on the, on the flip side for vendors yeah. to fit in? I think it's a huge problem. I think about how many IoT devices, smart devices you have in your home. Yep. I, I run out of fingers, toes, <laughs> and my friend's fingers and toes very quickly, right? Just in my son's room, I probably got an explosion <laughs> of those devices. And let's face it, the consumer is not going to pass their own stuff, yep. right? So... We're working with a lot of the manufacturers as well mm. to start building security into the product. And I think it, what's going to fall upon the consumer is to reward those manufacturers yeah. that have security mindset and are building it into the product set and not just going for the cheapest device on the market. Right. Right? And I think it's going to take a few events of the consumers getting burnt and seeing mm. why that's important to, to do that. I also think you have now businesses that are putting IoT into every aspect of the business, right? Whether it's the smart building, it's the manufacturing plant, whatever that is, it's now creating new risk factors for them. Mm -hmm. It's not just loss of data, yeah. right? It could be loss of life. It could be loss of productivity. And managing those technologies is not always the easiest thing for them to do. They're often relying upon the manufacturer Correct. or the person that developed yeah. it. We need to figure out a way to get better control of that, right? Maybe with some CASB technology, et cetera. But mm -hmm. this problem's gonna explode, right? I think it's just a matter of time before the bad guys figure out going after those devices and threatening people with loss events rather than yeah. just encrypting their data yeah. is gonna yeah. get them, you know, payments much quicker. Right. Right? So we gotta get ahead of this very quickly. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned we, we talked about Alex and Facebook, but these are high-tech companies who can recover relatively quickly and yeah. they know tech. Right. If you're talking about mining systems and industrial control systems where the business is not really technology, but right. they've got they into, yeah. heavily reliant. Right? Um, and they wouldn't think of themselves as a technology tech company. company right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So we're, we're almost out of time. Any any last words that you have? I mean, things that you're seeing at RSA that caught your eye that you feel both pleasantly surprised as well as, wow, it's still happening. <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised with some of the newer technologies that are coming out. You know, some, I think we have a lot of promise with artificial intelligence and those types of aspects. But I do always say, you know, we're taking an industry that's been very immature in that space, right? Mm -hmm. We're all, the big things we used to monitor for, right? Failed login attempts and <laughs> you know, changing passwords, like very rudimentary yeah. type things. And yeah. now we're going fast forward to AI, machine right. learning to attack yeah. these problems. We need to make sure we're feeding it the right data and the right algorithms and all that kind of stuff. But that is where we have to go in order to keep up with the threat because it's always been outpacing us. Yeah. And then we also think about the flip side of that technology being used against us. Absolutely. Right? That's, yep. that's coming as well. And yep. If we don't start preparing ourselves for that, we're going to be faced with yeah. a really big... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, technology is, 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 is a good... Uh, is democratic in nature, right? right. Everybody gets access to it, right? <laughs> so the good guys and the bad guys. And right. Right. Doesn't care who's using it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this has been fascinating. Thanks for the time and I'm Thank looking you. forward to uh, seeing what you guys do in the future as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you.